0: We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited-edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details.
1: Hello, everyone. This is the Daily D.C. Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into this historic inquiry. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer at CNN and the publisher of CNN's Impeachment Watch newsletter, which you can subscribe to at CNN.com impeachment. Today, I'm filling in for the regular host of this podcast, David Chalian. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with Margaret Tolliv, CNN political analyst and the politics and White House editor at Axios. But first, I'm joined by my colleague, CNN White House reporter Stephen Collinson. Welcome back to the podcast, Stephen. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm great. It seems like for the first time in a while that I can remember that we're not talking so much about impeachment but rather this uh, dust up at the Pentagon uh, that has led to the resignation or firing. It's hard to find out which of the Navy secretary.
2: Right. So this morning I was sitting around uh, waiting for an impeachment shoe to drop as, as we have over the last few weeks. And we've never been disappointed. But so far, there's no real uh, impeachment news today. You're right. This very mysterious issue of the firing of the Navy secretary, uh, it has something to do with the president's anger that a Navy SEAL who was convicted of posing with the corpse of an ISIS fighter against uh, military rules and against all uh, suggestions of military decorum uh, was demoted. Now, there's been a big uh, controversy in the Pentagon about the handling of this. The president, of course, uh, playing to his base, um, and this is a big issue on Fox News, has been very vociferous in his opposition to any discipline being handed out uh, to this officer. Uh, So this is something that's kind of filling the vacuum of the impeachment uh, story today. But in a way, I think you're right. It's the same kind of issue. Uh, What brought this on was the fact that the president was trying to intervene in establishing Um, chains of command. Uh, He was trying to go apparently behind the back of senior military officers, um, senior civilian leaders in the Pentagon to intervene in this case. If you think about it, that's exactly what was going on in Ukraine. The president was going behind the backs of uh, the official diplomatic representatives in Kiev. uh, And he was trying to create his own uh, foreign policy that was... um, going to give him political advantage. And that's what we're seeing in this case. So it's very characteristic, I think, although it's not about impeachment itself. It tells us a lot about the president's style of leadership.
1: Um, we've also been spending a lot of time uh, over the weekend and today looking at how Republicans have sort of pivoted their general world view to accommodate the president. You wrote this morning um, a, a very good piece about how essentially Republicans are buying into Trump's conspiracy theories. And and uh, you mentioned I think John Kennedy is uh, is is the top suspect here. And, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what he said on Fox News Sunday?
2: Right. So I think anybody who watched last week's uh, hearings and the hearings the week before uh, the public hearings would come away with an impression that the the would come away with the impression that the strength of the Democrats' case that the president did abuse his power, that there was some kind of wrongdoing uh, in Ukraine, was strengthened. That doesn't mean that there aren't good arguments to be had about whether what he did uh, was impeachable, whether the Democrats have uh, properly proven their case in such a crucial constitutional issue But it's very interesting that the the Republicans really aren't trying to argue the facts of this. Uh, They've talked about the process. You saw Devin Nunes, the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee last week, uh, basically every hearing opened with his kind of uh, conservative media-style monologue, uh, introducing new conspiracy theories, new distortions into the case to try and perhaps confuse viewers or, or, or render the Democrats' case less clear. John Kennedy, the senator from Louisiana, uh, went on Fox News Sunday yesterday and was asked by Chris Wallace, point blank, uh, do you agree that Russia intervened in the 2016 election? He said words to the effect of, well, it could be Ukraine. Of course, that is the new uh, presidential theory here that it wasn't Russia that interfered in the election. It was Ukraine. The reason the president is doing that is, of course, first to distort uh, and uh, so conspiracy theories to make the impeachment case less clear. And in effect, it does give him a rationale uh, for saying I was right to ask for an investigation into the what went on in 2016 this whole theory of crowd strike and the democratic server um which is you know we know there is no evidence that ukraine uh, intervened in the 2016 election to the same extent as russia did and let's not forget russia intervened in the election uh with the intent of uh destroying confidence in american democracy Uh, of hurting Hillary Clinton and ultimately developed a preference for Donald Trump as president. So it's interesting to see that the Republicans, uh, serious uh, Republican lawmakers are buying into the president's theory. This tells us a lot about, I think, the president's control of his own party on Capitol Hill and in the country. It's not a politically palatable position uh, for many Republicans to question the president's behavior uh, in any way. And sort of taking a step back, it's remarkable because the Republican Party is a party of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. It's long boasted that its policies uh, won the Cold War. This whole idea that Ukraine intervened in the U.S. election in 2016 has been put about by Russia uh, to try and, uh, you know, uh, diminish its own culpability. And we know that the intelligence agencies in Washington have briefed uh, senators and representatives on this fact in recent weeks, but still uh, they persist in uh, giving voice to this theory. Uh, and even though Fiona Hill, of course, the president's uh, ex-Russia White House policy chief, warned exactly against that at the right, right at the beginning of her testimony last week.
1: She was, I think, um, the, the most compelling witness simply because she felt extremely nonpartisan. Uh, she said things that Republicans might like, but she also had this great warning about U.S. elections and trying to protect them from Russian interference in particular. I thought that was a remarkable moment. And then you have John Kennedy basically come out this weekend and, you know, completely refute that. But I guess the, you know, the ultimate question for a Republican senator like John Kennedy or, you know, Lindsey Graham, maybe even more so. In, in other words, have we gotten to this point in American politics where, tr- I mean, Trump has essentially won the war fact uh, and, and you know, now you have these lawmakers essentially following in his wake? Are, are we going to wake up from that moment?
2: Well, that's been the president's strategy right from the start, right from that moment when it Sean Spicer came into the White House briefing room and started uh, uh, casting doubts on media reports about the size of Trump's inauguration crowd. Little did we know at that point that was the beginning of the war on fact that the president has successfully perpetrated. I think it's going to be interesting when we get to presumably a Senate impeachment trial. There are some Republican senators who are not from, uh, you know, uh, rock red Republican states. People like Cory Gardner in Colorado, Susan Collins in Maine. Up for re-election. Right, they're up for re-election. And it, they have a much tougher tightrope to walk between people who are strong trump republicans and more moderate voters who are critical of the president uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how their political circumstances which are far more different than senator kennedy's are going to weigh on their decision
1: all right Stephen, we've got plenty more to discuss plus margaret Tollive is joining the conversation but first this quick break Welcome back to the Daily D.C. Impeachment Watch. I'm Zach Wolf, White House reporter Stephen Collinson is still with me. And we're pleased to welcome CNN political analyst and the politics and White House editor and Axios Margaret Tolliv. Thank you. For joining us, Margaret. Thanks, Zach. It's great to be here. One of the things I was really interested in this morning is this Washington Post report that there is essentially, um, you know, this White House review, uh, internal review, has turned up emails showing this essentially after-action effort to cover up essentially uh, why Trump or you know people working for him froze aid. To Ukraine, And I, I don't want to talk specifically about this story, although it's very interesting. I, I just want to point out, we are still learning the facts of the case, essentially. And Democrats are going to trial uh, with the American people with this idea that President Trump should be impeached. Um, but we're still sort of learning kind of what happened. Um, is, is that going to backfire for them?
3: Yeah, I mean, so I think Democrats have reached a couple of conclusions. And one is that they have enough to go forward with an impeachment case against the president, and that having more isn't necessarily going to make the case stronger, which leads me to Democratic conclusion number two, which is that they're probably not going to succeed in winning over enough Republicans to convict. Everybody knows that they may not get any votes in the House. Um, And even if they do, if this then goes on to the Senate, they're they're not going to hit the threshold that they need. So they know that Also, uh, it is conceivably the case that uh, some huge major fact-finding would change that and upend that. But at this point, it doesn't seem that the Democrats have concluded it's worth rolling the dice to see if that will happen. And then number three, they're up against um, some time constraints. One of those is that there's an election next November. The other is that it takes the courts, sometimes weeks, often months, uh, to, uh, to hear and decide cases. And then the third, and probably the one that's the most pragmatic, the the most unavoidable, unchangeable is that uh, the Democratic primary is moving forward now. There's caucuses uh, in Iowa are in early February, followed by New Hampshire, and then they're in the middle of a campaign. Something like a third of the remaining field are sitting members of the U.S. Senate. If you take them, uh, off the campaign field to force them to be in a Senate for a situation that may not pan out. Um, all you've really done is put your thumb on the scale of <laughs> the 2020 campaign. And so uh, these are the sort of various factors, but you're right. What the Post story shows us is uh, number one, that there were these sort of three competing uh, channels inside the White House, the Chief of Staff's office. Um, the White House Counsel's Office and the National Security Council, which under John Bolton's leadership, thought this entire entire thing was bananas. And by the time he found out about it, it was pretty close to the end of his um, tenure and was unable to really stop it or turn things around. But we think was asking questions like, under what authority could you possibly not spend this money from Congress? There are laws that say when Congress has specifically appropriated money, you know, The president just can't go in there and, you know, put the brakes on it. And so it certainly appears at first glance like what may have happened is the chief of staff uh, to the president, acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, um, looking for ways to justify uh, at least putting the brakes, if not entirely withholding the aid. So.
1: so you mentioned John Bolton, and he is a key figure in all of this, and also somebody it's very likely that we will never hear talk about it, even though he has teased incessantly the idea that he has some information to share. So I, I think I would put him at number one on my list of people who I really want to hear him just gush forward and and tell us exactly what's on his mind, because he did, let's not forget, uh under his resignation letter, uh, was he fired? Did he resign? Who really knows? Yet again, but he did uh, res- offer to resign on the very day that all of this blew up. Essentially, that that the uh, that, you know that Congress found out that the whistleblower existed. So you know we we will essentially um, we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that they're going to impeach him. Uh, President Trump, and it certainly looks like they will, that they will impeach him without knowing what John Bolton has, what goods he has got to offer.
3: Right. I mean, on the one hand, we have um, at least a, a peek. You know, we can see the ankles on what John Bolton may have to offer uh, by virtue of some of the testimony we heard from other people during the impeachment hearings. Fiona Hill among them, this idea that he had called whatever... Um, Rudy Giuliani and Gordon Sondland were cooking up a drug deal. We know some of the highlights of that. Again, this is, from Democrats' point of view, a calculation. They seem to have calculated that um, the third-hand Bolton stuff they've got is kind of so good that it's enough. And if John Bolton uh, doesn't come forward and refute it, okay, it counts. Right. It's third-hand fat. Bolton
1: is so good, maybe we don't even want to know firsthand. Maybe
3: Bolton. you well, maybe you don't, right? Uh but uh, but also, I think they're not sure if they can trust John Bolton. Like, what what's John Bolton's game here, you know? Does he want to be subpoenaed? If he wanted to be subpoenaed, wouldn't they kind of have a wink and a nod – in a way that it doesn't seem like they do, where this would already would have happened. I mean, um, or uh, uh, also John Bolton has a book coming out. So we may, in fact, hear a lot of details that just may be long after this is all in the review mirror. Um, we think that book will come out sometime in 2020, but we don't know when exactly. Right. So um, from the Democrats perspective, they have gotten, if not the best of Bolton, a lot of good stuff from Bolton already. Um there is a, There are a couple of wild cards. Number one is what do the courts have to say? What kind of clues will the courts give us about whether Bolton, A, has to testify or at least B, um, whether the White House has the ability to hold him back from testifying? And these are some of the questions that Bolton's attorney has left to the courts.
1: He's asked the courts to weigh in. Democrats have essentially said, we're not going to pursue it. We we don't even care to go to court. And one thing that Adam Schiff said in his interview with Jake Tapper on Sunday is that he, he raised the idea of John Roberts essentially ruling from the bench during a Senate trial on this issue of executive authority, which I th- just the spectacle of that is kind of fascinating to imagine.
2: Well, given... Roberts's uh, long uh, attempts not to be drawn into the bitter of partisan politics. I think we're going to get a glimpse of how uncomfortable it's going to be uh, for the Chief Justice. Uh, another issue, of course, is Rudy Giuliani, as well as John Bolton. We have heard so much about what Rudy Giuliani has been doing uh, behind the scenes from almost every single witness in the televised hearings. And it's going to be very unsatisfactory if we get to the end of this. And we don't hear from him. You know, If you are going to impeach a president, uh, in theory, at least, you ought to pursue the investigation wherever it leads you and how long it's going to take to get to that point. Uh, You know, this is the most grave constitutional act the Congress uh, can indulge in. So from that sense, uh, I think there's a case for trying to compel testimony, however long it takes. Of course, impeachment is a political process. It was set up to be as such. So that's not the real world we're living in, but, uh, you know having heard all about what Giuliani was doing, uh, what Bolton thought about what Giuliani was doing, uh, what Mick Mulvaney uh, was doing inside the White House. Uh, And if we get to hear from none of these witnesses, we're not going to get the full story.
3: But on the other hand, if you did get to hear from all of the witnesses, would it have a material impact on how uh, Mm -hmm. House Republicans, forget about House Republicans, on how Senate Republicans actually voted? So if the impeachment inquiry is really about whether or not uh, the U.S. Congress should uh, t- remove a president from office early, um, it may not matter. If the ultimate purpose of the impeachment inquiry ends up being to shape the 2020 election contest, then the testimony, the uh, accounts of all of those men matters very much.
1: I kind of feel at this point, we're essentially going through the motions of impeachment and the ultimate goal of it I don't even think Democrats, it doesn't feel like they're even trying to change minds at this point. They just have to be able to say that they've done it, that they tried, and that the only way to get rid of Trump is at the ballot box. So it's like this massive get out the vote. I think
3: everyone's trying to change minds, but they're not trying to change minds of senators, is to your point, right? They're trying to change minds of that 15 to 20 percent of the American electorate that says that they're in the undecided camp right now.
2: But turn it around, if they hadn't acted they would be probably in a worse position, at least with their own uh, base. And the fact that a president is accused of using uh, his authority as president to advance his own political ends at the expense of the front runner or who was the front runner in the 2020 race for Democrats. So uh, in a way, the Democrats uh, are probably in a better position now, having gone through with this politically, than if they'd carried on refusing uh, to even think about impeachment.
1: And it does tie the entire GOP to him, I think, in a new way. Okay, Margaret, Stephen, thank you for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.